This podcast is sponsored by valleygivesback.org. While giving back is always in season, now is a great time to plan your gift. Name a Valley nonprofit in your estate plan and create a legacy that tells future generations what mattered to you. With a planned gift, you have the power to impact the Valley forever without affecting your current lifestyle. Your action will inspire others to make a difference in their own way. Remember the Valley. Ask your accountant, financial planner, or attorney about planned giving options. Plan now. Give later. Impact tomorrow. Learn more at valleygivesback.org. For hundreds of years, we brought you the news. Printed the info, we gave you the clues. Owners' profits were always sky high. Hey everybody, welcome to Naval Gazing, the Valley Indie Podcast. My name is Eugene Driscoll. I'm a reporter and an editor and whatever else you want to call me at valleyindie.org. So today is Friday, January 22nd. It's Friday, people. Another uh, We've survived another week uh, here in the United States of America. And we're going to have a discussion today about democracy, about the fundamentals of democracy, about the bedrock upon which our republic is built transparency, government accountability, the public's participation in an open meeting process. And I'm joined by two professors. I should have asked them their titles before we started, but whatever, I didn't. First, making a return appearance to the podcast is Dr. Jonathan Wharton. Dr. Wharton is an associate professor of political science and urban affairs at Southern Connecticut State University in the wonderful city of New Haven. Hello, Jonathan. Good afternoon. Thank you for including me. <laughs> now, is that still your title? I, I saw on Twitter, you, you, you're like a dean now, right? I am an associate dean now, right, for the graduate school. So there's that on top of that, yes. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate it. And thanks so much for coming on and lending some uh, you know, credibility to, to the Valley Indy. And then, I mean, it, she's below me on my screen. It, it, I mean, she's a mom. She's a wife. Today is her daughter's second birthday. Happy birthday, Evelyn. She is a former reporter with the Republican American, you may have heard of, the Hartford Current, and the Valley Independent Sentinel, launched with Jody and I back in 2009. Please welcome Jody Mosier-Gill, who is an associate professor of journalism at Southern Connecticut State University. What's up, Jody? Hello, happy to be here. And hopefully I'm not, you know, having Wi-Fi issues like I was 10 minutes ago, and you can hear me. No, it's good. Hopefully there's not a fire starting behind me in the next uh, couple of minutes. So uh, first of all, I want to thank you guys for scooping me. You guys reach out. You're like, oh, hey, we'll come on your podcast. We got this cool article we published in some fancy journal. And then it's New Haven Independent. Paul Bass and all his Yaley friends. I understand I'm not as intellectual, but thank you so much for uh, making it. It's based in Seymour and you've made it old news for me. I'm not bitter about that at all. Look on the bright side, Eugene. At least I, I know that your your listeners aren't going to be nearly as uh, bashing <laughs> as Paul's readers because the comment box against me was pretty intense in the last day or two. Oh, uh, see. Me. It's just because I'm a Republican, so I still get beat up for it in New Haven. So don't worry. I, I know your, your listeners are a little bit more forgiving of me. <laughs> Never read the comments. I know it, man. They're intense. 
they're intense. You know, it, 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 all right, so we're here to talk about uh, these two professors produced an article called Open Budgetary Meetings Amid a Pandemic, Assessing Connecticut's Various Pathways to Public Engagement During COVID-19. That was recently published in the Journal of Civic Information. So congratulations to the both of you on that. Thank you. But before we get into what it's about, like I, I feel an obligation since the events of January 6th, uh, and we just talked about online discussion a little bit, about how do we bridge this divide that we have very clearly in the country? It doesn't necessarily uh, pertain to what we're talking about right now, but I'm wondering uh, upon reflection over the last couple of weeks, how do we find common ground with our neighbors who may not only be in a different political party or different philosophy, but may see the world through a completely different lens uh, than you do. So Dr. Wharton, how do we we bridge this partisan divide? Well, you might even remember in your listeners as well that, you know, it was about this time last year when I wrote that article about the Valley, uh, when there were inaugurations taking place and how much I sensed at least a little bit more unity within the region compared to other places. I think it's just the simple things as I pointed out in that op-ed. Uh, and, and people in the Valley are pretty good about that, you know, in terms of connecting personally um, and not being overly political about it and recognizing and hearing what people have to say. Of course, there are going to be disagreements. That's going to be the natural tendency. But I think as long as we respect each other and things are said in a certain tone and we hear out what we have to say, uh, that's a critical starting point. Uh, now, I would hope that that somehow would transcend to our leaders and even to the media, but sometimes, especially in this kind of chaotic environment, it's not going to happen immediately. But I think by doing it even appropriately, it's a start. It's a good beginning. Jody? Yeah, that's something I think about every day, because when you read the comment section, as you said, and you see some of the the discussions going on, it it gets kind of um, overwhelming, maybe, and depressing, right? People are at each other's throats and fighting all the time. And 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 there's it seems like uh, two different realities happening at some in some issues. Um, But I, I think what Jonathan said is right. I mean, we have to talk to each other and really listen to each other. And to do that, um, I think the more you can encourage people to put their name with it and and not necessarily do it in person, but imagine you're talking to someone in person, I, I find that you have a little bit more respect for each other than you do if you're just out on the internet, you know, throwing out ideas. Um, how do we do that? How do we encourage people to shift their focus to thinking like, hey, would you say this to someone in person? I, I don't really, I don't have an answer for that, but it is something I think about a lot. And I think it is really important as we move forward because we are so divided right now. Okay, so that was that. Thank you. This is more uh, therapy for me because uh, <laughs> low grade depression is going on uh, in my house, definitely in my basement. Uh, today. So uh, back to the subject at hand, this article that I had mentioned uh, earlier, it's, it's, it was a survey that you guys sent to 95 municipalities. We sent to all of them, but 95 got back to us. Okay, 169, you reached out to 95, uh, got back to you. It looks at how governments handled the budget process in the age when public gatherings were not allowed because of the COVID 19 pandemic. So this is fascinating to me uh, because I'm a guy 
that has gone to, I think, 30, maybe 40 Zoom meetings since last March. I covered three towns, and especially at the beginning of the pandemic, I was completely alone. Now I have uh, Gene Falbo-Sosnovich helping out on freelance. So I was going, I had my laptop set up, my iMac set up. I had my Rodecaster Pro to record audio from one meeting. I had, uh, a, 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 I don't know what I had, some other bizarre recording advice, uh, device I got a couple of years ago. I would have two sets of headphones on recording all this stuff. So I was like totally thrown into the Zoom thing. And I've been thinking a lot about was this good, bad, indifferent for uh, sort of the public discourse and our local democracy here. So does someone want to explain how the idea for this particular research project popped up? Yeah, sure. So <clears throat> it's actually, it was a, kind of a mix between what was going on in New Haven with, they had these large budget discussions where like you had to sign up and there were waiting rooms and, and Zoom couldn't even handle all the people who wanted to get in. And then Seymour, because I live in Seymour, um, and I was just kind of watching their, their budget meetings after the fact. And I was just starting to think like, okay, in New Haven, we had this waiting list. And in Seymour, it wasn't the same kind of thing. There were people involved, but it wasn't the same kind of thing. And I just started thinking, you know, what's going on around the state? Like we have this weird situation where everybody has gone online and everybody is switching to this new, um, Zoom, you know, it wasn't all Zoom, but this new virtual meeting. And I, I was just curious what was going on and, and were people more likely to participate or not? Um, and as you saw in the survey, it's kind of mixed what people found, but it, it just started to, I just started thinking about that. And so I was talking with Jonathan who, you know, he and I like to geek out over local government all the time because uh, that's kind of our passion. And our students. <laughs> <laughs> and our students, yeah. And so we, I started, you know, running some of these questions by him and seeing if he wanted to collaborate on something. And of course he did. And, and he infused so much energy into it, which was, which was awesome. But that's kind of where it started was just seeing what was going on and, and just wondering, you know, is this happening across the state? And, and, you know, is a small town more likely to have people weigh in or, you know, are senior citizens who normally go not coming? Like all these questions around it. You know, uh, I know nothing about the academic world. Uh, I did attend college, allegedly. Uh, but how, all right, so I'm just interested in, uh, Jody, you had just mentioned you needed, uh, you, you teamed up with, with uh, uh, Jonathan Wharton. Uh, Jonathan, how did you decide, or how is the thought process uh, to, to take on a partner when someone approaches you and says, hey, do you want to do this? Uh, you know, I, I mean, I only know you from Twitter, you're a little prickly. You're, I think you'd admit you're, you know, you got a little bit of Larry David in you, right? Right. You're kind of, a, I kind of. Yeah, I do. So how, how, how did Jody pass the personality test? Because I, I would imagine. <laughs> it, it, I mean, I've worked with her. Well, well, first off, Eugene, you should know she likes beer too. So that helps. <laughs> that's a oh, good that's start. Well, yeah, we do. We do like our IPAs and beer. So God bless her. No, no. Seriously, look, Jody and I have gotten along for a long, long time. And in fact, as I was kind of even inserting on purpose, a lot of our students, we tend to take our similar classes because they have to be a part of, whether it's local politics or even journalism classes on her side, they have to go to the meetings. And so it was kind of interesting when she pitched this to me because one, well, obviously she said it's local politics, so that's a no brainer. But two, working with her was really a joy. And I have to confess, I'm not one who is always a collaborator. 
you know, I, I tend, you know, to be pretty much a loner when it comes to these projects and initiatives. But when she approached me, it was very easy for me to say yes. I mean, yes, obviously the topic, but certainly even the, the person. And, and certainly she and I get along very well. Um, we work together on more administrative committee activities here and there uh, for the university. But for something like this, it was a no-brainer. But I will say this, just to be fair, Eugene, she had already started a lot of the survey work. She did a lot of the ground work. She'd already made a lot of the contacts. And, and she admitted to me, you know, it'd be great if we could kind of pinpoint a few towns or cities. If you could help me kind of formulate that and see what angles we should consider. And, you know, if you could help me out uh, in terms of reaching out to public officials, you know, first select men and women, mayors, that kind of thing. And so thankfully for me, they were the towns that actually, I knew a lot of those officials <laughs> already. Um, and so, um, you know, on my side of it, I, I added maybe some, some of the contacts and networking, but also, uh, you know, some of the books, some of the literature out there on local politics, local meetings, what do they mean? And for me, that, that's my wheelhouse. I already owned the books. I've already done summaries of the books. I, you know, I could hash that out and probably an overnight and, you know, in a pack of IPA. Uh, and so it, it was easier than you think on my side to help out. I think the coordinating of a lot of these meetings with the public officials are probably more the, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of work to do with almost a dozen officials when you think about that. That's interesting. Yeah, and, and the references in there, I didn't even, you know, there's some like definitions of what, what is transparency, which are things I was, I was completely uh, ignorant of. So I might have to sign up for your class if I can audit or something like that at a steep discount. But You're welcome, um, anytime. You're welcome anytime. According to SESU, Bernie uh, Sanders has apparently crashed my classes last semester with, with the memes everywhere now. <laughs> oh yeah, those memes are everywhere right now. I wish the guy who took the picture who's from Newtown and interned at the News Times of Danbury, they, he should get to throw him a couple of bucks, people. Yeah, I agree. Uh, for that iconic image but all right so let's let's get down to brass tacks here is that the phrase i don't even know i sound like paul bass now but in terms of what you two figured out or studied uh did it decrease increase keep the same in terms of the level of participation and you concentrated specifically on the budget process uh in each town yes yeah, so we we asked finance directors, uh, first selectmen, mayors, um, people, you know, who are involved in the budget making process, what they, what their perceptions were. And so we found that 39% of them said they felt it was the same, right? No more, no fewer people participated. 25% um, thought fewer people participated this year. And then about 31% saw more participation. And we let them uh, answer questions in sort of an open-ended way too, just to get a little bit more in depth about like, what did they find? Wait, um, let, me, let me interrupt you for one second though. These towns that said there was less participation, what were they doing wrong? Because how could you not have more participation using Zoom, throwing Zoom onto Facebook, uh, uploading the raw video to Facebook? That's gonna get you a thing. I mean, you could throw a stone and, and get a thousand views uh, on Facebook. So who screwed this up? <laughs> That's a really funny way to look at it, but they, you know, people found there was some fatigue. Not everyone wanted to go on Zoom. Not everybody cared. Um, a lot of towns kept their budget steady, even when they wouldn't normally. And so they found the fact that there was no tax increase actually, in some cases, deterred people from participating because it's like, well, what's there to say, right? And nothing they, to scream about. Right. Um, and then in some towns they found, I think not every town did it um, as effectively as other towns. So maybe they were using, uh, there was like one town that said they were using telephone calls, which is just, I, I wouldn't participate. That must have been joyous. 
Yeah, I don't remember which town that was, but one town used uh, teleconferencing. So not everyone had as functional a, a platform as like Fairfield or New Haven. Um, although most use Zoom. I mean, Zoom was the way most towns went. Um, I love the beginning of the article. I think, was it Vernon? Where people, how did you find, how did you find out how Vernon did, they, they what Vernon did, and people should read the article because this, it's, it's, it's eloquent and I am not, but Vernon had people show up for a budget vote and just give the thumbs up or the thumbs down, which I think that should be everywhere. That's I love that. how we do it every year, I think. They drove through their town, uh, like high school parking lot, and like they would just drive by the, the registrar and say like, yes or no. I mean, a hundred people did it, so it's a smaller, smaller turnout, but. Um, I think I was just looking through articles about what towns did and that that showed up in an article and I, I just thought it was so wacky. I mean, for a while, Jonathan and I debated, should we do a, an in-depth study on Vernon? But it wasn't, it didn't really match what we were looking at, which was the virtual thing. So we just used it as our, our intro. Plus we wanted to kind of keep it more local down along the shoreline towns kind of on purpose. Uh, even in New Haven County, if that was possible. We kind of did Fairfield County on purpose because they were so well ahead and they've been planning for this years in advance and they're kind of considered the, the vanguard of, of doing a lot of this online. Uh, and I should just give credit. The first uh, meeting locally here on Zoom was the Derby WPCA uh, in our immediate area. Jack Walsh, who co-founded the Electronic Valley, one of the first regional websites uh, I guess in the late 90s or early, early 2000s, 2000, 2001, uh, he made sure that they were, they were on Zoom. But okay, and then you, you concentrated specifically a little bit on Seymour, where I attended a bunch of meetings at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, whether it was live or after the fact, because they were posting them to YouTube as well. Uh, one thing that got me mad right away, and I could be wrong here, I didn't go back and, and look, out my, look at my notes, but Kurt Miller, the former first selectman, who uh, now took a job and he's behind the iron curtain of David Cassetti's administration down there uh, in Ansonia. I'm just kidding. But I had budget talks with him. He would come on this podcast once a month, sometimes twice a month, because, you know, you can't keep Miller away from a, a camera or, or a microphone. And, you know, they had the budget and we were going to do it uh, this way because of the pandemic. And here's what we're proposing. And it's a no frills budget. Then I see Jonathan Wharton has there. Well, Miller said they they were going to do a tax increase, but specifically didn't because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And that was news to me. Uh, so, Jonathan, tell me about that conversation you had with Kurt Miller and what he said about how he sort of governed during the beginning of the pandemic, the early days when the town was trying to get their budget passed. Well, I think for him, and, and Joni obviously can chime right in because, you know, she found that part of it kind of interesting. The thing was, was that they had, Seymour was beginning to start some of this up in terms of, the, you know, uh, technology, um, you know, and it's kind of interesting, Eugene, because I went to a couple of the meetings um, last year. Uh, when they were in person and they had the big TV screen and they were trying to set everything up. So the technology was just beginning and it was a starting point for a lot of this. And so I think for him on the budget side, there was still some decision-making that still had to take place uh, in, in terms of how to go about not only putting this online and what to do, but also what to do about the, the budget increases if that were necessary before he were to leave office. And uh, are you go ahead. That you didn't, he didn't mention that the reason they did a steady tax rate was because of COVID? Is that the question? Yeah, I'm saying Miller, Miller's full of it or he kept that to himself. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think part of it is like we talked to him 
well after the fact too. So some of this was just reflective versus what was going on, you know, in real time when you talked to him. Um, plus, we talked to him on the day that he announced he was resigning. So yeah, he I, was all yeah. As as you and I said, you know, earlier, I think he just was like, "Hey, I'm not first selectman anymore. I'll tell you all the all the insider details." One thing that was interesting, uh, I mean, from my perspective as someone who's been to a lot of these meetings, I thought like the city of Ansonia was fascinating because in April, they were talking about going to referendum. A couple of years back, the voters approved a multi-million dollar uh, police department, new building. But then uh, the city through one thing and another changed the location. And so now they're faced with going back to voters and asking for an additional $3 million. They had a public hearing on it at the beginning of the, I guess in April. And I think there was 90 people, I wanna say, I could be wrong, but I was amazed at how many people attended. And then that the city opened up at one point, opened up everybody's microphone and it worked. It was a, it, there was, it was a great back and forth. People were orderly. Uh, you know, and in those days, nobody even knew. I mean, I, I couldn't get sound because I didn't know how to use Zoom for the first uh, couple of weeks there. So they did that. I was really impressed by that. And then like two weeks later, they had their budget referendum and the, and the Zoom thing was a disaster. But then on the other hand, you go up to Seymour where they were much more sort of uh, conservative for lack of a better word uh, in terms of who could comment publicly. They had this thing where you had to uh, uh, mail-in comments, which kind of rubbed me the wrong way, but what did you, why did they do that and was it effective? So I remember <clears throat> Kurt told us in Seymour they were worried because some of their meetings happened after like a Zoom bombing in New Haven, which we referenced in the paper. So they were reluctant to have open mics and the ability to share your screen or anything because people were like going into public meetings at that time in other places, not just New Haven, but like all over the country and sharing these like really graphic, um, horrible images or really nasty um, sounds or, or statements. So towns like Seymour, there, and there were many that had the same policy. They wanted people to email their comments and they could read them into the record. Um, and in part of it was just because they didn't they didn't know what to expect. Like, is someone going to just come in and crash our meeting? Right. Uh, it, Go ahead, John. I mean, at, at New Haven, but also Hamden, because it, ha it happened in Hamden a couple of times. And, and to be frank with you, Eugene, um, these towns did it all differently, you know? Um, yeah, the phone call, the email, public comment at the beginning or after a meeting, they were all different ways in which the people could speak or not be spoken to. So it was kind of interesting, unique, beyond just Seymour, how the towns all did it differently. And I think you might... Oh, Jonathan just froze. Did he freeze for you as well, Jody? He did. I was a good computer. We got a, a frozen Jonathan Wharton. He's still frozen, but I guess uh, he'll come back in a second. I'll have to sign out and come back in. But Jody, I, I mean, my impression just in the Valley, because that's all I pay attention to. I, I was impressed by how these governments uh, converted to Zoom pretty quickly. Maybe there are hiccups here and there. Uh, maybe people, I mean, one thing I loved uh, in some of the meetings, you get the random uh, curse. All right, Jonathan's back. John, okay. you cut out for a good uh, 25 seconds. If you want to complete your... Sorry about that. No, I was just about to say, the, the concerns we raise in the recommendations at the end of the conclusion of the article is that it would be good to have, have some at least consistency 
uh, and some actual communication between some of these towns and cities in terms of finding best practices. Um, because, it, you know, a lot of this was done on a learning curve. I mean, you know, we have to respect the fact that a lot of this was, you know, end of March, middle of March, and the budget season is, is right in the prime then. The decision making is going to be done in, in May. And so, you know, there've been a lot of things, lessons learned and, and practices that could take place that could be more effective. And so, I think whatever it is is possible for towns to learn from each other and saying, okay, this is one approach or here's another approach to go about it would be helpful for, for a lot of the public officials, but certainly even the residents. Yeah, and I was starting to say as I was vamping, I think overall the towns did a really good job. Uh, it, was, it was cool to see uh, under this pressure, you know, something none of us have ever, experience, have ever experienced before, the way they were pretty seamless in, in, in government could continue. And from what I saw locally, more participation, had you had more people involved. Uh, I thought that that was great. And also I was starting to say, I'll take this into the gutter, but there's been a couple of times where someone doesn't know their mic is on and mm. you know they, they hurl an insult at somebody thinking, I mean, that's always from a reporter's perspective, always juicy. Well, and I think like what, you've, what you saw is what we were noticing ourselves, which is, I mean, I was surprised if we had told everyone they had to go on Zoom or do a virtual version of a meeting, I don't think people could have handled it. And I know that's a little insulting, but you know how everything gets talked to death and then we've got to study it and then it takes four years. And so in a way, I mean, this is one silver lining of COVID is that everybody was forced to try this out. And there's so many different ways people did it that when we continue on after COVID, there's so many um, examples of like how to do it and how not to do it. And so I really hope that towns continue to offer some version of a virtual access to the meeting. And now they have all of these examples to pick from of like what worked well and what didn't. I hope they do. I, I really hope they do. Go ahead, Jonathan, sorry. I was gonna say not to mention as well that the towns and cities were ahead of the curve compared to our General Assembly, where they were still trying to scramble what to do about getting meetings and hearings online in the first place. And obviously it's still up for discussion and will finally be carried out, I guess, during this session. <laughs> I noticed that I, I had the feeling that the meetings on the municipal level were shorter for some reason because of Zoom. Mm -hmm. It seemed like the uh, elected officials were more apt to get to the point. I don't know if if either of you felt that as well or watched enough or. Well, it's funny you say that. I think it was New Haven found the meetings ran longer. So mm -hmm. I think it kind of depends. Uh, New Haven's always, an, I don't, you know, they're always doing something weird. Um, but some towns went longer, some towns were shorter. I know one town in the survey, they, they found, um, one of the comments I put in like, people were more reluctant to talk, the board members were more reluctant to talk on Zoom because, you know, in this particular town, they were all a little bit older and it just wasn't like a natural thing for them. It's awkward, do. yeah. And it is awkward, right? It's like, you're used to sitting sort of on the side and not everyone's like in your face. Whereas on Zoom, everybody can see like, you know, all of your right. reactions and everything going on. and your cat in the background and all these like very personal things. Right, and I've had the politicians like text me insults about things I have going on in the back or, or you know, why don't you watch, you know, so that happens too, it's very unnerving. But I'd love that the, one of your conclusions, and this was something that uh, like in the city of Derby I, I, is outstanding. Uh, I don't know if Seymour does it, but they should. The act of putting the documents online before mm -hmm. a meeting, because when you go into these meetings and I've been going to these meetings forever now, you know, since, since my 20s and I'm pushing 50. If you don't have 
the document they're talking about, you're just joining a conversation in another language that's already started. And I think that's one of the reasons personally that people don't wanna go to these things. You don't wanna drive, find a place to park, go into city hall and have these uh, people talking about something that's so inside baseball, you have no idea what you're talking about. But putting the documents online has been, uh, I mean, it's been great. I love it. I agree and I, I hope people continue to do that. I, if it's not required next year, I don't know if they will, but I can't imagine if you truly want the public to be part of this, this like participation and you know, all the actions, it's like, why wouldn't you put the documents out? Everything is digital now. You're sending them to everybody through email, you know, who's on the board. Mm -hmm. Why don't you share that with the public in advance of the meeting? It's if you want people to be informed, like inform them, right? It's true, and, and and on top of that, I, I think that what was critical through all this is that uh, I think towns and cities are learning now that hey, maybe we should consider this as, as a form, as a platform, even whether we continue it or not. At least maybe find some kind of hybrid model, maybe do a little bit of both, or you know, see what can work and, and try it out. Uh, but that sense of you know making the information known is very helpful for our democracy, certainly for officials and uh, residents, but also for the media. I mean, that's so critical to disseminate and, and get that information out there. So I think everybody had to learn through this process. But I will say, Eugene, going back to your main point, one thing that I, I was a little, and Jody knows my feelings about this, I was a little dismayed about doing the Ohio Online thing is, I like to go to these meetings just as somebody who just to sit in the back in the corner and I have my journals kind of scribbling around because I go to a lot of town hall meetings, even in the Valley. And yet for me, um, you know, the lost art of smoozing is just not there online, right? I don't have the ability to attend the meeting early and get to know the officials. I can't hang out with the officials at the bar now afterwards and kind of corroborate with them and find out, hey, what is going on? What is happening? And, and I really, really enjoy that a lot with public officials. And so that kind of lost art is gone for now. <laughs> and Paul Bass made a really good point in the discussion you did with uh, him a few days ago, where he said, like, yeah, there's a, a big part of meetings for reporters is going up to the politician afterward and, and be like, what did you mean by that? I've found like text messaging and emails now during or after meetings uh, is getting that to, to some extent. But one thing that's bothering me a little bit is, you know, the meeting, uh, the minute requirement in Connecticut, you can, it depends on who's taking the minutes and how much effort they want to put into them. Meeting minutes can be useless. Uh, but what I don't understand is a lot of times now our municipalities are recording these meetings on Zoom. So it's on their server. And then where they go from there, I, who knows? Mm -hmm. uh, some towns are putting them on YouTube. Some towns, if you ask, they'll post it for you, although they'll send you a link with a, with a password. But uh, shouldn't more towns be just, shouldn't there be a, on, on every webpage uh, here's all the videos of all the meetings. Is that another suggestion, perhaps? Um, there's some benefit to that, but I wonder if, you know, 10 years in or, or even a year later, like how much storage space do you have for all these? Like, it could be a two hour long meeting and how, how big is that file? So Throw it right on YouTube. YouTube, I think, would be a perfect solution to that because... Let Google worry about it. Right. Sometimes, but sometimes would have the ability and resources to do that, or at least the staff and some towns don't. So that's, that's, that's the issue is this kind of, you know, one or the other, unfortunately. So it'd be good to see some continuity, but uh, it's difficult to carry out. That's the thing I know, like in Derby, I believe it's Mark Garofalo, the town clerk. He's responsible for, it seems, I, I could be wrong, but it's like when you have one person trying to do all that, yeah, it's insane. And, you know, there's not like a giant 
workforce in the lower valley towns. But what's the, uh, what's the local people have to push for too, Eugene? I mean, if the residents, the taxpayers push for it, hey, it might happen, right? I mean, that's what we heard back from the first select woman in Fairfield was that her constituents were pushing for it. So that kind of led to this way before COVID. So it takes the residents and, and, and you know, really, the, you know, people just push their public officials to, to lead towards this direction. And one thing that, you know, really struck me when we were hearing some of the feedback is like all of these things were possible before, like you could always go and get a transcript. I mean, they have cassette tapes probably still in Derby that you can go and listen to if you have a cassette. How dare you? No, they've not though. They've, they've, they've upgraded. That was, that was literally the truth about 10 years ago. I had to buy a boom box. So it's like, okay, we could have always done all of this, but people either didn't know it or it was too inaccessible because you had to do it like during business hours and go and physically listen to it. And so what we hope is that this kind of renews the public's awareness of what kind of access they already had and makes it a little bit easier for them. And that's what a lot of people said is, you know, just having this new um, format thrust on them got them thinking about the, the old way that they did it and really reflecting on it um, and talking to the public a little bit more about that. Like in Guilford, I love that example because they really reached out to the public. I think he said like four different times, they, they put out a call and said, please comment on our budget. We wanna make sure we're doing this right because of COVID and everything going on. And, it, and I'm like, well, why didn't you do that in the past? Like, why don't you already like reach out to the public and ask them to weigh in? And they've just kind of, most towns have taken a, like a you come to us approach, like come to the public hearing and tell us. Whereas this year, because of everything going on, a lot of towns really reached out to people. And so having that invitation from their town, I think is why some places saw more participation. Okay, well, those are my questions and that is our time. I wanna thank you both for coming on. Now, if people want to read this article, how do they get their eyeballs on it? I mean, I, I guess I'll publish it if, I, unless that's a copyright infringement, but where can people see it? It's, it's um, I don't know the URL offhand, but it's the Journal of Civic Information. Um, and this is in the current issue that came out in December. Um, and so it's one of, I think, four articles that was published. We can send along the link to you so you can maybe include that for, for this, uh, you know. Oh yeah, go right ahead. And I, I plan on publishing this. It's Friday now for Monday morning. Okay, uh, we'll know, send unless... it to you. Absolutely. All right, Dr. Wharton, Professor Gill, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. Appreciate it. <laughs>